Welcome to the Yogi MD podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Today, I am thrilled to have Jesse Backus, who is a freelance percussion teacher, composer, and clinician around the Midwest. We've known each other for several years now because you are my drum teacher. Yes, I am. It has and, been. It has been some years. And we've become friends, so I'm very fortunate. Welcome. How are you today? I'm great. I'm really excited to be doing this podcast. When you were growing up, what was your relationship with music? Was it a musical household? Did you always know you loved music? Absolutely. I mean, my, my family grew up. Um, I, I found out much after or far after I started actually playing music that my dad grew up as a drummer and uh, my mom was always a singer. My grandma was a singer and they grew up in a very musical household. But in when, when I was born, my, my mom would love to whether cleaning the house or doing whatever task, doing whatever work she was doing, she'd love to have a soundtrack in the background. And so we'd listen to everything from, you know, James Taylor to Earth, Wind and Fire. And I, so I grew up in a very funky household and uh, just people that, that really enjoyed what music did to just create an environment and create kind of a soundscape for whatever life was in that moment. Anytime I was doing anything in my life, it had to be somehow musically related. So what instruments were you playing when you were young? Apparently, I was very handsy when I was a very young kid. Um, I, there's, a, there's a day, and I, I was told this, and I don't remember this, and I'm sorry to my brother, but my brother was holding me, and I tried to drum on his face with a matchbox car and almost oh. broke his nose with a little car. So that was, so I, I think I've always been the hitting type. Um, and when I was younger, it was a little more violent, unfortunately, <laughs> but I grew out of that. Uh, my parents tell me around about five or so, and they got me this little kid's version of a drum set. Everything just kind of had a backbeat and that's where I ended up. You took piano lessons too, though, didn't you? I did. So there, uh, when I started elementary school, my, my parents um, were great about just kind of asking around and figuring out what the best avenue was to get. And it unanimously was get them involved in piano. They learn all the fundamental skills they need to play any instrument. And then once you get to band or orchestra or things later in life, you can, you can specialize. But the piano is just a great way to get started. So early on, you knew that you were going to continue with this lifestyle. It wasn't just going to be your stereotypical, let's get Johnny piano lessons right now. And then when he's 13 and goes to high school, he's just going to stop. But he did it. Most of us give it up after that. And I will say my parents made a deal with me because I did not like to practice piano. I didn't like to practice, period. So we'll just get that out there. But the material came relatively naturally. And it was something where I didn't I didn't have to work terribly hard to make it presentably good. But I think because I was I was in this this musical household and this musical world for so long, as soon as I started actually making music, the some synapse fired in the brain where I couldn't imagine my life without it from that point forward. So I, I've definitely been invested in music in some form or another since birth. But as soon as I started making it myself, I didn't know it was going to be my career. I didn't know that my lifestyle mm -hmm. was going to be entirely based around it. But I knew that it was going to be a strong part of my life forever. When did you stop playing piano? Well, I, I made a deal with my parents pretty much right away. Once they figured out that I didn't want to practice that wasn't in, in my cards uh the deal was okay if 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 we're gonna let you play drums then you have to stick with piano at least until high school 
And so when I graduated eighth grade, I finished my piano lessons. And that, that was the deal. I took them up on it very literally. It's like, okay. Um, and I played from, from third grade through eighth grade. And then the percussion world started in the middle of that around the, the fourth, fifth grade time. Mm-hmm. I made the deal and my parents made me stick with it, which I will never um, appreciate anything in my life more. Because it, it, it taught me a lot about commitment, but more importantly, it just, it made sure that I was on the track that got me to being here right now. What was your musical career like in high school? So, um, I went to a very, um, concert band oriented high school. Um, so there's, there's a festival that's actually happening the week that we are doing this interview. It's called the Midwest, um, convention in downtown Chicago. It's an international giant music festival where, uh, bands audition from all over the country and the world at every level to perform. I was, I mean, my, my high school, one of the years I was there, we played at the Midwest convention. Um, when I grad right after graduating as a senior, I was a part of an honor band that toured Germany and the Czech Republic and gotten to travel a, a ton and explore all kinds of venues because my my high school band director was an incredible musician, an incredible percussionist, um, which also helped me fall in love with this whole thing. But um, he was just, he was such a, an incredible influence and gave us all these opportunities to just explore music on, on unbelievably professional worldwide stages. Mm-hmm. And it allowed me to just see kind of the variety that the musical world offers. There's 50,000 career paths with all kinds of different variations that get you anywhere and everywhere you'd want to be doing anything you could ever imagine. And it's, it's pretty, it's, it was, it was a pretty powerful realization. And I think it was all just based around having that, that teacher that desired us all to know that there were options. And to know that we didn't have to pursue music as a career, though, there were also plenty of options to just stay involved. What subjects did you like in school? In terms of subjects, I was a very mathematical and scientific kind of person. All the way through my senior year of high school, I thought I was going to be an engineer. And I I sort of thought I was going to follow almost directly in my brother's footsteps. Mm -hmm. So what happened? Why didn't you pursue a life in engineering? During high school, beyond just the high school program, I started performing with this competitive independent group called Green Thunder Percussion, but from the Chicago area. And all it did was, again, open my eyes to the fact that there are more people out in the world that are incredibly passionate about this art form and, and, and passionate about what its effects on people, on society, on culture. It just reminded me that the thing that I value probably most as a human being is personal interaction. And so I think by the time I got to my senior year of college or of high school and I was applying to colleges and I was thinking about, all right, well, I want to be an engineer. Hold on. I, I don't want to work with numbers. I don't want to work with papers. Mm. I don't want to work. What is it about music that brings people together? There's some pretty incredible energies that can be created. And there's some pretty incredible moments and relationships that are built when you're just working for the same unified goal. What was the path you decided to take when you got to college? Uh, it, when I started college, my goal was to be a band director. And I went to the University of Illinois knowing that that program is famous for producing great band directors. And then as soon as I got there, well, I shouldn't say as soon as, maybe about my my sophomore year at U of I, I realized that I don't just want to be a band director. I want to teach music. And then it became, I want to teach percussion. And I have the luxury now because of the choice I made in college to really pursue percussion and really pursue teaching on this more specified level. I'm freelance and I literally get to drive somewhere, 
teach for X amount of hours, and leave. But to be fair, from what you've said, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you value the individual. You are very invested in bringing out the best in a particular student and meeting that student where he or she is. Am I right? Absolutely, yes. Okay. And I can say that because of our relationship, mm-hmm. because you must have been stunned when I walked into Marion and in comes this 40-ish adult to touch drums for the first time. How could you do that? And how could we have maintained such a successful relationship and how could you have helped me to have grown the way that you have if you weren't really invested in meeting someone where he or she is and helping that person specifically thank you for making me the best version of myself well i will say two things first of all thank you but i and it's it's nice to take that trip down memory lane because i but but i think you're right my my primary value as an educator is to teach the person and and really to be totally honest i the the music part and the the teaching of notes and rhythms and the things that are are on the very surface level of that i've started to care much less about and it's it's because of this idea of just I can teach a, a monkey to play a thing with a stick. Like, and that's, and that's fine. And I think there, there is value to that. And I think that, that, you know, that's, that is the means to the real end. But in my head, the real end is how do we make these, these kids or, you know, kids old and young, uh, better people and better versions of themselves. And I, I will say when you walked in the door, it was absolutely terrifying to me because I was, I don't know, 22 years old, something like that, and had just started this, this teaching career and didn't really know what I was doing. All of a sudden, this woman walked in. <laughs> and in this world that I'm used to dealing with kids, that this this person who was walking into this room and well understanding of what you wanted in your life, and you're very well put together, you're very respectful, you're very polite, and everything was very much business. It was like, let's, no, this is this is an, an inspiration of mine, and I want to follow my dream of being a musician. And so it just, it, again, it put me in a position where I was trying to figure out how to do that. And I think what that did was set our relationship off on the absolute right course because we've talked about this in the past. Every single lesson we've done for six years has started with absolutely no plan. And the reason for that is because I know, number one, you will communicate to me either verbally or not exactly what you need and why and how and when. And then it just becomes my job to interpret that and then give you whatever it is on that day. As I alluded to earlier, I was that kid who took piano lessons and hated it. Mm. I hated every second of piano lessons as a kid, and I'd stuck with it for a long time, simply because I'm a type A person, I'm the eldest, and and I've always felt uber responsible and very serious about everything that I've done. I've always loved music, and I've always felt like music was an integral part of my life, and it was, like you mentioned before, it was a way to self-regulate. Later on in, in life, many, many years later, I just always felt like I had to contribute in some way to that world, participate in that world, not just passively listening. I felt like I had to have a voice some way. I tried two teachers before you, and it was not successful. They couldn't meet me where I was. They didn't really understand the overall philosophy of why I needed to become a musician and why this wasn't just something that was completely casual. I really wanted to be good at it as well. And then we met and you got it. 
Well, I mean, and, and it's, it's something that and I've, I've told your story to everyone who will listen or who won't, because it's, it's just something you've been such a huge part of my life and such an influence to me as a, as a teacher, but just as a, as a person, as a friend, uh, because it's just the, the inspiration that comes from that kind of passion and that kind of drive is just something you don't see very often. I, I have the luxury of, of working with some, some higher level, really talented students at the, at the professional level. And, um, and, and it's great. And those moments are the refreshing ones because not everyone feels that. And that's okay. You know, it's, it's not, I don't pretend to teach music to make everyone passionate about music. Again, I, I think the notes and the rhythms are just a means to an end. I think my, my goal as a teacher is to teach people to be passionate about about anything to just teach people that the journey towards being great at something is the fun part. And no matter what you apply that to, whether it is math and science or the law or medicine or it's music or it's tennis or it doesn't matter. It's just whatever is put in front of you. If you have that drive to succeed, the drive to be better, the drive to learn, that's what I want to teach. And one of the best lessons that I learned from you and I have continued to learn and develop from this experience over the years is just that every person is unique. Every person does need different things. And, and I think it's, it's entirely changed the way that I approach high school teaching. Um, because there, there's, you know, there's this idea of teacher student separation, which I think is, is necessary. These people are fully fledged human beings that maybe love music, maybe don't. They're, maybe they're there because they're forced to. Maybe they're there because it's their biggest passion and love in life. But in the end, it's my job to get all of them to buy into that same thing and to, to reach all of them heart and soul. If I have a, a, you know, a new goal now as a teacher, it's not just to teach the human. It's not just to create fantastic people, but it's also to give them the experience that I was lucky enough to have. Um, specifically, I'm thinking of one where I was, I was a part of this group called the Cavaliers, it's a um, competitive drum and bugle corps, which is kind of like the NFL of marching band, I guess would be the, the best way of saying it, but. Okay. I was, I was a, a part of this group and my first year in the group, we were the best percussion section in the world. We knew we were the best Be and it had nothing to do with anyone else. It wasn't we were better than the competition. It was, I will never do anything this fantastically well ever again in my life. This is, this is literally the best version of myself doing the best thing that I will ever do. Wow, that's powerful. So do you think that transforming an individual to become the best he or she can be then can translate into making society better or a community better? Absolutely, yes. I want I want my students to feel like they are the best version of themselves and also understand how to be the best version of themselves in the real world. And not just the, the idealistic mm. version of the real world, but when you leave the doors of this room that mm -hmm. we are in right now, mm -hmm. how are you a better person? Are you more cour courteous? Are you picking up litter on the ground? Because it's the right thing to do. Because in, in the end, it does come down to the whole ensemble of people, whether it's two musicians playing together or 50 or a thousand if, if all of them are in that mindset of I want to be a great human and I want to be the best version of myself, but it's motivated by the people around them rather than I want to just selfishly be the best version of me so I'm rich and famous or whatever the case is, mm -hmm. it's no, I want to be the best version of myself so that I can honor the process that everyone else around me is going through to do the same thing. Mm. How do you transmute lessons learned in music to everyday life skills? I'd say the first and foremost 
um, most important life skill is awareness. Um, the idea of just shut up and listen. And if you just, if, if you prevent yourself from intruding on a situation and you just sit back and take it in, or even if you're just among a crowd and you're just aware of the people around you, then all of a sudden your life gets infinitely better because you, you see things, you hear things, whether it's, you know, that you see or hear a car coming and it's something literal and dangerous like that, or you just, you see a person and you really notice them and who they are and what they're doing. And when they look sad or when they're depressed or when they're angry, you can feel that and you can sense that you can see that. And then as an, as an educator, I can change the way I'm approaching them, you know, and, and, and being able to have that kind of relationship is huge. And just again, that, that awareness to the, the person that I'm, I'm teaching, uh, but even beyond that, just the environment that they're in and the culture that they're a part of and what is home life like and what community they live in. And, you know, there's, there's the old adage of treat everyone the way you want to be treated or the way they want to be treated. But mm-hmm. I think it goes beyond that where it's treat people the way they need to be treated in that moment. And I don't think you treat one person the same Monday as you do Tuesday, as you do Wednesday, mm-hmm. because everybody's going through different stuff. Mm-hmm. So I know you asked for what, what skills, uh, but I honestly think that kind of applies to everything in my life is just, if I shut up and listen, if I just look around, what do I really see and what do I really hear and what's really going on? Let's talk about perfection hmm. um, because that has definitely been something that you know very well I've struggled with in learning this marvelous instrument. How does one avoid letting perfectionism get in the way of enjoying and honoring the journey and honoring that awareness that you've mentioned? I think it starts with figuring out how people deal with failure is what it comes, is kind of what it comes down to. Because if, if the goal is absolute perfection and, you know, I'm, I'm a perfectionist too. I struggled. I have always struggled with that same thing of, I want it to be right. I don't want it to be close. I don't want it to be kind of there. I want it to be correct or it's wrong period. And that was why I think I was attracted to math right away and science, because there's an answer, there's a solution (laughs) and a guaranteed thing, you know, and there's some satisfaction in Mm -hmm. that. Um, but I think, I think the word perfection or perfect is very scary. And I, I would be the first one to tell you that I don't think perfection is truly achievable really in anything, but I think the journey to accepting that and not only being okay with that, but being excited by the fact that perfection isn't achievable. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I value about that kind of journey towards it. Um, so what I mean by that is, you know, I, I deal with mistakes in maybe a unique way where if I make a mistake, I am immediately frustrated because I made a mistake and I want it to be perfect. But the next instant right after that, I'm incredibly excited because the mistake means I have something to work for. I have something to get better at. I can now create improvement in myself. I can, I can feel the, the epiphany moment of, oh my God, I figured out whatever this thing was and the, the endorphins flow and life is great. But I think a lot of people come from many different strategies of dealing with mistakes where, you know, for some it is, if, if I mess up, I am a terrible person period, end of thought. That is just such a deep rabbit hole and this negative spiral that goes forever. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's debilitating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then though, you know, maybe on the flip side of that, you have, you have people that deal with mistakes and they awkwardly laugh it off because they're uncomfortable by it. They don't know what it was. They don't know how to fix it. And so what I, what I try to do is 
um, find somewhere in the middle, which really is the, the mistake is something beautiful. It gives us again that opportunity to learn and grow. Um, cause I mean, think about it. If, if, if you were, growing up in life and you learn to play tennis and immediately won Wimbledon and you go start to play basketball and you're in the NBA finals and doing your thing, you know, and, and insert any analogy about just going from zero to a hundred in an instant. That's all great. But at some point you're going to have done everything and look back and think, wow, what do I do now? I did it. I, I'm done. And so I think, I think the mistakes are beautiful because it gives us a reason to get up and push for something and grow and, and, and find a new level of ourself. So do you think if you're accepting of mistakes and knowing that that is part of the journey to being the best you can be and to quite frankly, to learn correctly, you have to make mistakes to be able to learn, to really understand something. Do you think that if you're married to the idea of perfection, then that's the enemy of creativity? Yes and no. And I'll, I'll say that because I think, I think the, the other component of the mistake beyond the, the acknowledgement of it is then the analysis portion. And I think the, the perfectionist excels at that mm. when you learn how to look at a mistake, diagnose the problem. And then once you diagnose it, you can then fix it. Um, I think that's, you know, again, that's some, that's another, an, another huge piece of the puzzle because once, once you can train the, the person to react in the right way, then it becomes, okay, cool. You are interpreting the mistake in, in the correct manner. Now let's get mathy about it. What did you do? What exactly happened? And how do we fix it physically or mentally? Was it a focus error? Was it a physical error again? I think creativity and perfection are two parallel avenues where perfection is very technical. It's very mathematical. It's very process oriented and journey oriented. There's steps. Whereas creativity is not the opposite. Cause I think there are, there is a process and there are steps, but there's just so much more variety and potential that I think mistakes can be the enemy of creativity. But I've also, some of my, my most creative moments as a composer or as an educator come from me blowing something. I'd play the entirely wrong thing and then realize, oh, that's more interesting than what I was supposed to do. Creativity can be highly influenced by mistakes. I also think if you approach the mistake with the wrong mindset and you don't, you don't know how to think about it or you don't know how to react to it, all of a sudden it's the immediate halt of creativity. How does music teach us how to fail? I think it, it's such a safe environment to make mistakes. If you hit the wrong note because your hand-eye coordination sucked for a second, whoops, then the marimba doesn't catch on fire. The stick doesn't break in your hand. You're still standing and breathing and everything's cool. What really happened? Okay, I hit the wrong note. Great, let's go back and do it again and hit the right one this time. Well, the word failure just has so many connotations to it. And you think about failure as a business or as a country or as, you know, all these grandiose ideas. But when you're failing because you're supposed to play ba-ba and you played baga instead, like, in the grand scheme of life, that doesn't count. <laughs> you know, that's, that's especially for, for younger kids and for even high school kids, college age, whatever age, it's, adult it's women. Ad, adult women. Absolutely. <laughs> you can make so many mistakes mm-hmm. in such a short time that you just get repetitive training on how to react to the concept of the mistake in an environment where really nothing's going that wrong. The final question mm. that I love to ask every guest what is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? I think there's two overarching things for me. One is 
awareness again, just it being, being conscious of yourself and who you are, what you, what you are, what you need, being conscious of the people around you and how they're interacting. And sort of on that note, my other thing is just managing your environment. Um, I've learned over the, the years because I, I have had the luxury of meeting a lot of people. Um, and in, in a lot of different places, again, traveling a lot and being a part of some highly competitive, highly publicized and very visible organizations. If you, if you can surround yourself with people that make you a better human being in whatever way you need that to be. And then you can be aware of yourself and what you need to create that environment where you get the right people that are going to help you in your weak areas. Then you as a person in terms of your psyche, in terms of your emotional stability, you are a healthier person and you live a healthier life. When I'm surrounded by people that are making me better, um, you know, for example, like my, my roommate, his name's Andy and he makes me a more honest person. And, and, you know, I think on a daily basis, you teach me how to be a better teacher just by being my student and by being my friend and, and us, us interacting. It quite literally makes me better as a person every single time. And that's something that you don't find often. A huge part of health and sanity and stability is having a community of people around you that can support you and not just be nice to you, you know, not be the kind of friends that just blindly say you're awesome, period, and then move on. Like you need people in your life that say, hey, you're being a, an idiot right now. You're doing dumb stuff. You should really stop. What are you thinking as you're doing? You know, you need those people to bring you back to reality sometimes. And on that perfect note, thank you very much for being my teacher and my friends. You have definitely help me to feel unstuck, to accept failure as something that's a good word mm. and not a shortcoming. So thank you. And I feel the exact same way. And then so it's been it's been a pleasure to to be able to build that over the years we've had together and I'm excited to, to keep that going as long as we can. Okay, everybody, you can get your Kleenex now and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and wipe your tears. <laughs> And now it's time for practical tips. Mind and body tip. You know what I'm going to say. It's never too late. Learning to play an instrument challenges both body and mind. Spirit tip. Find and make room for those people in your life where mutual respect can flourish. Thanks for being here. See you next time.